Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I am mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely do not count. And hi, I am the available Alan Sherstall, the fill-in for Dan Gavazdin, and I own the most recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man on Comixology. I owned a lot more other issues of Amazing Spider-Man throughout my life, but Mark, I mean, this is the, tr- this is the truth. Every, every couple years, I tend to just give away all my comics. I don't understand you collectors at all. What is going on? Wait, hold on a second. We, you're not Dan. You're not even talking about the annuals. You're talking about comicsology, like it's not even a hard copy. What is this madness, Alan? I, I am a normal person. <laughs> I, I really enjoy Spider-Man comics. I do not enjoy maintaining a collection. And for the last, I would say, 25 years of my life, I've lived in small apartments. Moving comics is not fun. They they pile up, they accumulate. So I would put them out on the street, taking out all the the really adult ones to maybe sell back to a bookstore or something, so that I don't accidentally drive some kid to madness or upset their parents. But no, I'm serious. I have left most of the slot run, most of the Spencer run, uh, most of Brand New Day out on the street in Jersey City. Uh, maybe Kamala Khan picked it up, picked them up. Well, this is just a brave new world here, which of course means that we are now in the post Dan Gavazdan era, but temporarily. So that's right, everybody. As Dan has been threatening for some time, there might be some changes on the horizon with a child of his coming, and that child has come. He has he has been born on this day. Well, not this day, about a, about a month or so ago. We are here, and available Alan is filling in for Dapper Dan. Of course, we both wish Dan the most heartfelt congratulations uh, on his fatherhood, of course, to his wife Amy as well. We're going to give this a go, guys. We're going to do an episode of Amazing Spider Talk without Dan. Uh, why don't we welcome you all to the show where uh, two fans and one collector and one guy who leaves stuff out on the street uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider Man comic universe. And of course, thank you for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. And thank you, Available Alan, for pinch hitting here and, and just being the hero, maybe that we don't deserve, but certainly that we need right now. Thanks, Mark. I am very happy to be here. Thank you to Dan. I know you're going to be a great dad. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 4. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The interior and cover art uh, features pencils by John Romita Jr. himself, inks by Scott Hanna. My God, it's just like we're living in, we're living in my childhood. Colors by Marcio Menez and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released June 22nd 
2022. We apologize for being a little late to get to this one, but our lives and the world have been messy lately. What's new? Uh, we are here. We're excited. Of course, you know, if you want to subscribe to Amazing Spire Talk, we ask you to do so through all of the uh, podcast apps of your choice. You could also check out our back issues on Amazing Spider Talk back issues. Uh, that's where you can hear some of our uh, old uh, episodes with uh, Mark Bagley, JMD, Ron Friends, etc. Superior Spider Talk era. But we're going to get to Amazing Spider-Man number four here, volume six. And I'm going to start us off by doing a bit of a summary the way Dan would do. Hopefully you all like my synopsis. Alan, if you want to take a bathroom break here, this is your cue. So Mary Jane is at Paul's house going through her good night routine with Romy when Felicia shows up trying to get intel on Peter's whereabouts. When MJ says they haven't been talking, Felicia starts to talk about some rumors on the street before trailing off and getting out of there. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is trying to break out of the chains while one of Tombstone's goons holds a gun to his head. But despite how dire the situation is, Peter's spider sense doesn't go off, and another one of Tombstone's guys, Kareem, stops the killing and helps orchestrate Spider-Man's escape. Flash over to Harlem, where White Rabbit has brought Robbie Robertson over to Tombstone, who has some unfinished business with his old rival. Back to the sewers, Spider-Man cuts through Tombstone's guys, moving at a frenetic pace. He calls Randy to warn him that Tombstone has his dad, while he continues to fight through multiple guys. The action cuts furiously back and forth between Randy trying to save his father from Tombstone, and Spider-Man trying to stop Tombstone's men from causing havoc in the streets of New York City. When Spidey finally gets to the end of the sewer, he finds Suen who he assumes is dressed as the Rose, since it was the Tombstone's plan to frame Rose's crew as the perpetrators of this violent attack in New York. However, after a swift punch to the Rose's face, his mask is peeled back and it's actually Richard Fisk, the real Rose. At the same time, Randy gets to Tombstone's and finds Robbie and Tombstone enjoying each other's company, and Tombstone gives Randy his blessing to marry his daughter Janice cut back to Spider-Man, and he realizes that he has been had by Tombstone. It's a true con moment that the gangster has completely orchestrated a fake plan to get Spider-Man to take out the entirety of Rose's gang, saving him the trouble of doing it himself. That is my attempt at a synopsis. Alan, did, did you think I summarized it okay, or did I forget anything? I think you did great, and I think there's something about your very kind of Queen's accent that just reminds me of hearing like a ball game in the summer. Like, and, you know, Dan's, Dan, Dan's shrill mini voice cannot even, you know, touch that. Very good. Well, Alan, I, I appreciate that. So, well, you know, summarizing the comic is one thing. Now we're going to attempt to dissect it a little bit. And I would actually like to start the conversation by talking about the end, because to me, this was probably my favorite part of this whole comic. So why not start with the best? You know, this was this was a great twist, Alan. I mean, you know, you, you, you really like 
I think this would have done Tom DeFalco, aka the the mastery of the master of the mystery suspense thriller, proud. You know, I really didn't see this coming that this was all a huge setup by Tombstone. But then when I kind of walked it back and looked through page by page, it was a really well executed diabolical plan by Tombstone to get Spider Man to basically take out his own mess in the Roses Men. And um, I, I I don't know, like I just really liked how Tombstone played Spider Man here. I mean, it was a really great villainous act that got Spider-Man to do the hard work. What did you think of it? I feel like uh, Wells so far is working with and working against two tendencies that have afflicted the Spider, the Amazing Spider-Man book for quite a few years now. One is writers write Spider-Man as if he is dumb and easily tricked, and in a way that I feel like felt legitimate rather than Wait, when did when did Peter become naive? When did Peter become a dope? Which is something I felt often in the Spencer run, sometimes during the slot run, sometimes during Brand New Day, and I I don't even know what I felt during Beyond. That's a whole other <laughs> set of issues. <laughs> and then the other the other tendency that has I think worked to the book's detriment during those same runs, despite a lot of strong individual issues, I would say in the slot Spencer brand new day, and even some in the Beyond run, a tendency for the writers to write these stories, aiming them on an audience that they know already has read most of the Spider-Man stories that have come before. And a lot of times the way the writers deal with that or signal to us, the longtime readers, that yes, we know you've read a lot of these, is obscure callbacks, in-jokes, and things like that. But what uh, Wells is doing here, which I admire and appreciate so much, is he knows we've internalized the beats of Spider-Man stories. We know how these things go. And so we get, you know, kind of traditional moments here where because Spider-Man has done so much good in a city, a henchman of tombstones lets him off the hook and saves his life. Or at least that's what it seems like. Because Spider-Man is the hero, he gets that kind of surge of strength and uh, rises to save the day after the villain delivers a monologue in his general direction that would be a strategic blunder for any villain to actually do. These are all things that we tend to accept in Spider-Man comics, many of which over the years have been somewhat sloppily written and plotted, (laughs) to, to, to be quite frank about it. And our willingness to go along with each of these familiar elements from Spider-Man comics is kind of used against us by Wells to upend us, to surprise us, to bring us to this legitimately upsetting conclusion where, you know, everything that Spider-Man does and everything that we're used to seeing him do and that we love seeing him do has been done in the service of Tombstone from the start. Tombstone told Spider-Man, and he told us, that he's going to teach Spider-Man a lesson. And then yet, even though I've read hundreds and hundreds of issues of these comics, including the annuals, which don't count and are often awful, I was taken in and I was surprised just as much as Peter was. And it is amazing to me how well we were tricked. Speaking of Tombstone and just in general how the character has been drawn up here, I mean, I really enjoy this turn, if you will, for Tombstone. I mean, you know, this is we Dan and I had talked about this the last time out we recorded that I feel like Wells has definitely elevated 
Tombstone in a way that we haven't seen probably since Jerry Conway first introduced the character. But, you know, kind of even beyond like making Tombstone seem to be a threat here at the very beginning of this run, like you noted, I mean, he was going to teach Spider-Man a lesson, but there seemed to be, you know, we were kind of like approaching almost like tweener status for, for Tombstone in terms of like, you know, he's still not a good guy by any stretch, but like he's kind of also trying to almost kind of ride out the, 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 the high of, of the, of his glory days of, of mobster dumb, I guess. I don't know how to put it, but to me, like, this is the perfect way to do it. Like he, he basically keeps his hands completely clean. He doesn't do any of the dirty work violence that he kind of, you know, insinuated he might have to do when Janice was, was coming to him a few issues ago. And yet he does something so so manipulative and kind and diabolical to Spider-Man that now you you still want to see him get a comeuppance, but it's in in a in a in a very nuanced kind of a way. I guess that's what it is. It's it's you know we have lots of shades of gray here, which is what I how I think a character like Tombstone needs to be drawn. Um, I also feel like just kind of going back to the last few runs that you were discussing that, you know, a lot of the villains that we were dealing with were kind of just very one note, diabolical, twirling the mustache and and evil types. And it's just good to have something that's got a few more layers to peel back here to really get to the heart of the matter here. I mean, Tombstone, you know, wants to be king of, of the underworld, but, you know, he does it in a way where he, you know, he doesn't, you know, have to get any blood on his hands, which is really fascinating. I don't know. So I, I, I just like how Wells has kind of brought the character forward here, made him both a huge threat, but also kind of an interesting character. I really uh, just again, I, I mean, Alan, you said it beautifully. I mean, like like you said, this it, it kind of goes beyond just treating Peter as a simp here. And it's more like we were all on this ride together and we were all tricked by it, which I think is the most important part. Uh, I guess the only complaint I would have about this whole sequence was, you know, and and this is being super like nerdy nitpicky was like, oh, you know, the it's it's the actual Rose, not not someone dressed as the Rose. And and Peter just kind of, you know, floors him with one punch and that's it. And you were like, OK, well, if it was actually the Rose. Maybe we could have had a little bit more of a fight going on just because the Rose is in some respects considered a major villain. I don't know. Maybe he's not anymore. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I would have liked to seen a little more of an altercation there. But other than that. It was it was pretty spot on. I mean, do you have anything else with Tombstone and how that character is being depicted here that you'd want to add? I could say so. (laughs) (laughs) When usually, especially when it's like a new writer taking over and they're bringing out one of the old villains for the first time, there there is that tendency to, to 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 level up the villain somewhat to show us, no, this villain actually is a serious threat. And so often the way to do that is to make the villain more kind of nakedly murderous or to amp up their power set. And then Peter has to think in some panel, I've never been hit that hard before, not even by the Hulk. You know, like all those those moments that we just don't buy as readers. And Wells is just enriching Tombstone, making Tombstone more interesting, uh, making Tombstone seem like somebody who could, yeah, literally control huge chunks of New York City's crime world and survive in a world with the Kingpin and the Owl and all the others who are competing for it. He's he's not the Owl. He's not a reckless dope. He's not Kingpin prone to Mr. Burnsy and changes of heart all the time. <laughs> he is instead a truly terrifying, enigmatic present presence with 
roots that I mean to me go back to like Dick Tracy comics, uh, and then there's all the the kind of fascinating fascinating racial elements that are increasingly part of the character's history, and I feel like it fully honors the great spectacular stories of of Tombstone from from the '90s. It just feels like a continuation of those almost. I, I think this was a great comic. I think this is a I know I we might be in the minority on this. I, I think this is a very strong start to a new era of this book. As for Spider-Man cold cocking the rose, I mean, it does happen really quickly. <laughs> but <laughs> to, to, for, for me, that was actually part of the surprise at first. I thought, oh, there's no way that's actually the rose. Right. And then when it actually was, I'm like, well, why couldn't Spider-Man take out the rose with one good punch? You know, no, no story wants him to, but uh, he probably always could do it. And look, if Batman can can floor Guy Gardner with one punch, then, you know, like Spider-Man can floor the rose. <laughs> it's like, wait, I'm mixing up comics here. What is this nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> and the rose doesn't know this is coming. This isn't like a rose story. <laughs> the, rose, the rose is just living his life and suddenly... You know, Spider-Man burst in. And and my God, does he burst well. The way John Romita Jr. is drawing Peter, or is drawing Spider-Man in action with, it, it has elements of a horror comic to it. The way the way Spider-Man is lunging out of the shadows, you know, cannonballing into people, coming out of the ceiling, coming up from the floor. But it doesn't feel sadistic in any way. I'm glad you brought up JRJR here because I definitely want to give this a shout out. You know, the last last issue I thought was definitely like one of the more visually brutal issues of Amazing Spider-Man we had. And, you know, this was obviously a continuation of it. I mean, by the by the sheer fact that, you know, they still had the blood soaking out of the front of his mask, which is just such a great visceral touch for what this character has been through. But yeah, I mean, all of these scenes in the sewer, I mean, this is just J.R.J.R. doing what he does best. I mean, it felt very akin to his, you know, Man Without Fear uh, miniseries from back in the day with Frank Miller about Daredevil, you know, even like all the way down to, you know, that that one sequence where Spider-Man is kind of just jumping straight up into the air and the bullets are flying around him. And like it just it just felt straight out of like a dark Daredevil comic. But it also was relevant to Spider-Man in terms of how the action was sequencing and how the character was moving and dodging and getting away from these attacks. I mean, there was that one great sequence where it's like, well, guys, bad, bad news for you. I'm out of web fluid, which was such an inversion of the usual kind of, oh, no, I'm out of web fluid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was just just like, I mean, that's a that's a great touch from Wells. But, you know, JR's art and how he paces it through, you know, the the cadence of scene by scene here is what really kind of propels this forward. I mean, we talked about how great Wells has been since this this book has has rebooted. I mean, JRJR is obviously no stranger to Spider-Man, but man, like I I just Every day, I, I, I well, this is going to sound very hyperbolic, but you know, it's a Spider-Man podcast. It's a fan cast. I should, I can say this every day. I wake up. I am just so grateful that John Romita Jr. is drawing Amazing Spider-Man again because you get stuff like this, and I just love it to bits. Every bit of it. I'm right there with you. The way he draws the suit on the flesh of Peter, you know, you you really you really can sense it. 
the way there's a page in here where we get like four small panels at the bottom of the page of like fist, fist, foot, foot hitting gangsters' faces, that it does not skimp on, you know, the fact, the truth that this is brutal violence, yet it also doesn't feel to me sadistic in a daredevil sense or in even like, you know, like Romita's work on Kick-Ass or, or with Frank Miller, you know, over at DC. It still feels Spider appropriate, despite the fact that, you know, the violence visited upon Spider-Man himself that, as you, you mentioned, has truly been brutal and wrenching and upsetting. And, you know, the last issue, as well as the start of this issue, I, I'm surprised I reread the last issue today, too. I, I'm surprised when I look at them that I didn't really know I could be jolted by violence being visited upon, visited upon the body of Spider-Man anymore. Especially after, you know, my least favorite moment of the Spencer run, the, the god-awful issue where Peter's murdered time and time and time again. Like, we, we've seen everything happen to Spider-Man that could possibly happen to Spider-Man. And yet, in the way uh, Romita draws it in these issues, I was legitimately worried about him last issue being beat up by Tombstone. And at the beginning of this issue. And so his, you know, Popeye eats the spinach comeback, you know, in this issue where he finally is back in action and beating down all these goons is just is just beautiful, both in the writing and in the drawing. I I all I never wanna presume I really know when reading a comic with multiple creators involved, who is coming up with each of the action beats, you know, that with an artist like Romita, do you do you say, I want six panels and this to happen, this to happen, this to happen? Or do you say, here's three pages of Spider-Man beating up guys in a tunnel? I don't know. I don't know how they do it. But the staging and a lot of Peter's moves in this issue felt new and fresh. Like for a guy who's drawn so many issues of Spider-Man, like John Romita Jr. has... There's still new, exciting ideas. Even something as simple as just webbing the floor and catching their feet. Like, I don't remember ever seeing that before. And then another page later, I used the word cannonballs earlier. He, he literally cannonballs into some goods. It doesn't feel redundant. I mean, I really feel like a lot of the issues of the Spencer run and some of the later slot issues, it felt like Amazing Spider-Man was circling a drain of just the same ideas, the same plot beats again and again and again. And I know that that is probably the fault of the editorial team and their bosses who do not want the character to age, who do not want these relationships to advance, and all of that. And right now, I know we're only four issues in, but it feels like Wells and Romita Jr. are finding a way to tell compelling stories within the parameters that they are given by the Walt Disney Company. It definitely feels new and fresh, and yet, like, there's definitely just some signature Ramita visuals, like, on the in, throughout this book. I mean, like you said, it's it's it, you know, it it it's not quite as dark and demented as some of his Daredevil or his Kickass stuff, certainly. But like, you could just you just feel his presence all over this book. But like, you know, I, I, I this is this is going to sound like really pompous, but I feel like especially after talking to JRJR on our show a few a few years ago, like. He does seem to be the kind of artist to really work closely with a writer and kind of get their verve 
before doing his own art. And like, you know, to your point, like, you know, who's responsible for what, who knows? But like, I think certainly the, the synergy of all these creators together is, is, is creating some really unique, interesting stuff that also has touches of the familiar to it. So tip my hat. Alan, I you know, we are we are a slave to format on this show. So this is where we typically break and talk about the Slack. I don't know if you're on our Slack, but uh, do you want to talk to our, our listeners a bit about the Slack here? Well, Mark, I've been meaning to mention to you that hundreds of listeners, like the listeners listening right now, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, uh, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, Dan's kid. There you go. Now, this is typically where Dan says, I'm there all the time, but I can't do that line because I'm never there, but you should be there because it's just an awesome Spider-Man community. And the best way to find your way onto the Slack is to follow the link in the description and then, you know, say hi, hang out. You know, you can tag me. Maybe I'll check it. Uh, You know, you never know. Maybe you can tag Alan. I I mean, whatever you want to do, just get there, follow the link, say hi. And once you're there, be sure to let us know what you think of this new episode. You could talk about, you know, should Alan be the permanent replacement for Dan or or when Dan gets back, should Alan be the permanent replacement for me? You know, like I won't be there to see it. So the world's your oyster, Slack, do it. So <laughs> that's that's all we got to say about the Slack. Unless, Dan, unless Alan, you got anything else to add? I would just say, please never tag me on Slack because that just makes me think work is contacting me. Back to our regularly scheduled program, and we're about to get even more awkward here because, you know, we have a great issue here. So naturally, to 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 satisfy a certain segment of the fan base, we got to talk about Mary Jane and whatever is going on in this storyline here, a.k.a. the 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 MJ Peter breakup storyline that has been kind of mystery boxed into this run. You know, as much as I love this run, like the, the, the mystery of what is happening here is still probably my least favorite part of everything going on here. I don't know what's happening here. I mean, like Felicia comes to the window and, and MJ is like talking as if she hasn't spoke, spoken to Peter in years, the way it comes across. It's like, oh, that was a long time ago. So, you know, do we, do you even want to attempt to speculate what the heck is happening here? Because like I read this and I'm like, was there like like a reality jump or something because like i mean we 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 knew in the beginning it was six months which granted in like comic book time six months passes in like 30 years of comics so maybe i don't know but like it it just it really struck me just kind of like how far away in 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 thought and everything that mj was during that whole sequence do you have anything you want to throw out there well let me let me start by saying that my my, my 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 serious enthusiasm for this issue is perhaps I'm starting to now wonder if it's maybe a little a little ramped up by the fact that I have been just like you, Mark, 
a little disquieted about this mystery box element with this run. And in fact, I found that it soured uh, my response to the first couple issues a bit. I thought the third issue was the strongest, and then the fourth issue is better than the third issue, probably because in each of those issues, that mystery box element has been less the driving force of what's interesting in the book. And the driving force of what's interesting in the book has been, what is Peter doing? What is happening to Peter? And it helped a lot that in the third issue, the the new supporting cast member of, of the man whose name I forget, who is with Mary Jane, began to get fleshed out. I think out it's Paul. Uh, there we Paul. go. Yes, that, that, that helped a lot. It's Peter, Paul, and Mary Jane. I mean, can you get can you get any more <laughs> on the nose than that? <laughs> I mean, you. I, I also want to go back to your introduction to this to this segment, where you just talked about how we need to to appease a certain subset of the fan community. I I, I really think this show should have on it a a hardcore Mary Jane Peter shipper, and that you guys can can have it out a little bit. <laughs> Um, because I, I, I am not, I, I do not personally understand the perspective of that subset of the fan base whose enjoyment of the comic is contingent upon that relationship being at the comic's heart. I, I do not share that perspective and I don't, I, I honestly don't know that I can understand why that perspective, why that particular element would be more important than all of the others. But I can respect that perspective regardless. And I do feel that editor Nick Lowe and his, his, his crew tends to poke that bear uh, a little gleefully, like a, a, a little, sometimes a little trollishly. You know, with some of these covers, I don't read the solicits. I'm not, I'm not a Dan Gavazda type. I don't know what's coming down the pike. I feel like it is got to be understood at some level by most of the fan base that this relationship is not going to be the heart of any mainline 616 Spider-Man book set in current continuity anytime soon. And the way the Spencer run kept hinting that it might be, and now the way this run is hinting that no, it won't be for a long time, both of those feel a little cheap to me. Well... Uh- all I can say to you is like, where, where does this, you know, in terms of your question about, you know, who are these fans and, and why is this such a driving force for some? Um, I'm going to put a cheap plug in here and just say that at the end of July, I'm going to be attending Terrificon at Mohegan Sun. It's, it's my big return since being there in 2018 with Dan. I'm just going to be there solo. But one of the guests of honor at Terrificon is going to be Jim Shooter, who not only is he the former editor in chief of Marvel, but I mean, he is the one who infamously pulled the trigger on marrying Peter and MJ, despite the protestations of literally everybody in the spider office at the time. So maybe, maybe, you know, a conversation, you know, we were able to talk to Christopher Priest about the Hobgoblin after years and years of it. So maybe this will be the year where Jim Shooter is just going to say once and for all, why Peter and MJ need to be together in the worst kind of a way. And that can be your Peter MJ shipper on the show that we so desperately lack. I, I don't know what else to add to the conversation beside that, but also to plug that I'll be at Terrificon uh, at the end of July in Connecticut. So if anyone wants to come and say hi, you should go to that show. I would like to add, though, that I appreciate that Wells is trying to make it, is trying to commit emotionally to the idea that Mary Jane is connected to this child, 
You know, like their dialogue is good and natural. And, and I appreciate that one thing that has carried over from the Beyond era, even though it is odd to me as well that it feels like so much time has passed, is that Mary Jane and Felicia, you know, are friendly with each other and that Felicia has her address apparently and that they that they keep in touch and Mary Jane's not too surprised to see her. I, I, I thought that relationship was was intriguing and promising and it kind of moves the the various spider love triangles or quadrangles or whatever they are you know it, it, you know out of archiness and into uh, <laughs> a more contemporary world which which I appreciate although you know I still I I still every time I see them together I just shudder and think dump truck ass <laughs> I mean the, the the only thing I would add about the Felicia MJ sequence was that, you know, and I agree. I think it's great that the two of them still have a relationship. I think that's, that's something worth mining and exploring because it really was great content when we got it during beyond era. But, you know, I, I guess for me, what kind of sprang to my mind was that Felicia is comfortable enough to kind of just pop up at MJ's window. How is she like kind of out of the loop in terms of what her and Peter are up to, uh, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's kind of what is the most maddening part of this mystery box situation that we've been dealt with from the get-go here, which is that Peter is persona non grata with all of these different people. And yet Felicia just kind of seems to be, you know, operating on a different planet right now. And, you know, that might just be the case, you know, like she's, she certainly has her own life and maybe isn't like obsessed with Peter's, but like, I don't know. It just seemed odd to me that, you know, in one breath, she's like, hey, buddy, what's up? I'm at your window while you're putting your your child to bed or <laughs> or or your boyfriend's child or whatever this is. But, you know, I don't realize that you're still not talking to that other, you know, that guy who masquerades as Spider-Man. I don't know. Like that was that was like kind of like that 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 kind of took me out of the sequence a little bit as much as I like seeing those two characters interact with each other. It's muddy. And I don't know that I see that the, that that was confusing about it. I don't know that I see clues in that confusion. I don't know that I see intentionality behind that confusion. It just it feels kind of muddy. But what I appreciate in this issue and the previous issue is that this mystery of what did Spider Man do in Pittsburgh or wherever it was uh, that that mystery now feels like mildly intriguing backstory rather than the driver of this whole new runs plotting. All right. I do want to end this review a little bit by talking kind of in broad strokes about the fact that, you know, we've talked a little bit about the different elements of this run since it started. We're, we're four issues in now. We we're, we're, you know, yes, we have this mystery box thing that kind of throws it off a little bit, but the term street level, I feel like gets thrown around a lot with Spider-Man like, oh, you're the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then we shoot you into space and, you know, and that's that. Or, you know, we, we bring back your clone or we we have you fight the undead cloned twins of your former ex-lover. I don't even know. But like, <laughs> I will say this feels like the first truly street level Spider-Man run that we have gotten in ages and, you know, say what you will about some of the different fan complaints that we've heard so far. But like to me, this this title sings when it's on the streets, when he's 
dealing yes we love the big villains like doc ock and green goblin and i'm not saying that spider-man just needs to fight you know kind of anonymous gangsters all the time but like you know spider-man just punching and and fighting for his life through a sewer with a blood-soaked mask against a big tall albino named the tombstone who you know doesn't have any powers but it's just really strong and really evil like to me this is what i want a spider-man comic to be this is these are the themes and the tropes and the just the general aura and feel of the comic that I want in each issue. And it's just, it just feels so good to have a truly street level Spider-Man without too many caveats to it. I don't know what you feel about it. I mean, am I, am I overselling it here, Alan? Actually, I think you're underselling it a little bit. You're, you're selling it as this is what you want in a Spider-Man comic and has to have these elements. But what I, I think there have been, you know, during brand new day and some other, you know, just some other moments in recent years, there have been issues or isolated stories that have all of these street level elements that you want in them. What's different this time is that it's executed with heart, with sincerity, with wit, with cleverness, with surprise, and with a sense of stakes involving the supporting cast in a natural way. It feels entirely natural that the Robertsons are involved in this, that Peter is scared for them. It doesn't feel contrived in, in any of the ways that like, oh, suddenly my girlfriend is menace. You know, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't, it just feels like these are all natural developments for these characters. And I mean, some of my favorite pages in this issue are Spider-Man trying to, tr trying to, trying, trying to warn about Tombstone and Robbie. Like, like there, there's desperation there. And it's not like just the desperation of, oh no, is this, is this villain going to hit Spider-Man harder than he's ever been hit before? It's not that. It's real people who he really cares about are in danger. And not for random, not for random reasons, like in the seventies where, oh no, they were all at the coffee bean at the wrong time. <laughs> there's legitimate reasons for them to be in danger. That desperation is driven, I feel like, two prongs. Like you said, the first part is like the personal desperation regarding the Robertsons and, and how this is all impacting them. But then there's like that kind of like broader desperation involving like, what are Tombstone's guys going to do on the street and into in these innocent people up there? I mean, like Spider-Man just trying to protect the average, you know, the average Joe in the neighborhood. I mean, that's that's what the character has always been about. It's it's, you know, like what happened to my Uncle Ben could be someone else's Uncle Ben. And he needs to get up there and do everything in his power to to do to, you know, resolve this and 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 be and do the responsible thing and save the day. So, like, you know, like you said, that that just that just like that despair of him fighting through the sewers despite the pain and the blood and 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 you know not not you know running out of web fluid just to you know both save his friends but also save not the world just you know one street corner basically in Harlem i mean that 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 spider-man can i add i think the one extra element that wells is bringing to it that puts it over the top that makes this i think a great spider-man comic is all of that that you just said, plus the very real possibility that Peter acting on instinct rather than thinking is actually making things worse. 
And and that to me is the incredibly powerful thing. That that to me is what gives this this extra heft that I thought this was a knockout issue. You said it was a knockout. Do you wanna do you wanna put a a, a, a very defined grade to that to that statement, Alan? Or Oh, I, I am happy to go A with no caveat. I mean, there's there's a I mean the first couple pages, the the MJ scene, you know, I feel like there's it's just too vague to understand emotionally what's going on there, and and sometimes I'll give I'll say this about Ramita sometimes his face his faces aren't his faces have sometimes always been a little rough but there there's one Mary Jane here that looks a little <laughs> like Tom Petty right. in a wig, but <laughs> other than that I mean this this was an A this was an A comic. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna go just a nudge below you and say A minus, but like that is certainly my highest grade of this run so far. I feel like per what you said earlier, I feel like each issue in this run has gotten progressively better than the last. I'm really looking forward to the conclusion of this arc. I I, I want to see this showdown between Spider-Man and Tombstone now. I had predicted you would say A minus. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I, it's it's it. Alan has the proof that he predicted it. I yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a hard grader, but no, this is I'm I'm having so much fun reading these books right now. I mean, you know, all all I can say is if if you're a fan and yet you're and you're you 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 kind of lapsed out of these books after the last few runs and yet you're still listening to our show, which would be odd. Uh, whatever, that's you know, you do you. But if you're not picking this book up because you just think it's going to be like the last few runs that's a mistake you should definitely be checking this book out right now this is this is classic defalco roger stern style spider-man right now i would definitely check it out and alan i am gonna i am going to bring us home unless you object and want me to keep talking about other stuff here i'll just add one thing which is my understanding of how the entertainment industry works when it comes to these beloved intellectual properties that are owned by giant corporations is that the thing that you, the fan, are mad that the creators are not doing, often that is not the creator's fault. That is the fault of people above the creators who will or won't let them do what they want to do. And if you're mad about the Mary Jane-Peter relationship in these books, it's not Nick Spencer or Dan Slott or uh, Zeb Wells who are keeping these characters apart. I, I'm just—I I don't know—I don't, don't have inside information on that. I'm not friends with Nick Lowe, although I have heard him play Pathfinder on the Glass Cannon podcast, and he's very funny and he sings a lot and he's a weird <laughs> dude. Uh, <but laughs> just truly, truly, I'm just—I'm just telling you, it has got to be people above Nick Lowe who are saying. No, yeah. they're not together. That is my gut instinct. I'm not going to blame Nick Lowe and send death threats to Nick Lowe because Peter, Jane, and Mary aren't smoochy, smoochy. Take off my lingerie and now you take some <laughs> private photos like it's 1994. Well, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Alan's got the inside info. No. Anywho, if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend, and if you're able, become a member on Patreon. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. 
So why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, most months or most weeks, and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way, you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week, give or take, it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. We've recently commissioned Juan Ferreira to depict the black suit Spider-Man and Daredevil to help memorialize our transition into the Peter David era of Spectacular Spider-Man. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. But we know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And thank you again to all the members who already make this show possible. Alan, bring us to the end. It's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme song was produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Maj. Our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. So, Alan, until I orchestrate an entire pregnancy and a new Gavazdan baby, all in an effort to get Dan off the show and you on it, what's our motto? I'm actually an actress playing me. Did, did you know that? With great podcasts, there must come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.